every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Vidya Peters, CMO of Marketa. Vidya is widely recognized as one of the top leaders in financial technology and joined Marketa in 2019 after previously serving as CMO of MuleSoft, which she helped scale into one of the most successful and fastest growing public enterprise software companies. On this episode, Vidya discusses the most important elements of setting your strategy for the year, how to keep up with the rapidly changing MarTech landscape, the key elements of her tech stack that she couldn't live without, and much more. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. And now, please enjoy this interview between Vidya Peters, CMO of Marketa, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today we are joined by special guest, Vidya, how are you? Ian, I'm well, thank you. It's been, uh, it's been a while since we've chatted. It's great to reconnect. I know, it is, it is great to chat with you today. We were talking before this, I'm constantly reminded of Marquetta because I live in Oakland and, uh, and you all have your name on one of the largest buildings in Oakland. And, uh, and I'm always curious what, what Vidya is up to. So exciting to chat with you today. We're going to talk about demand and marketing at Marquetta, where you are now. So before we get into that, what was your first job in demand gen? My first job in demand gen was selling support plans for a dying desktop product. And it is as hard as it sounds <laughs> because uh, when I took the job, desktop was, as expected, already a declining business before moving to cloud solutions. So not only was the core declining, but also this whole idea of support plans. What do you mean? I need to buy a plan to get support so that I can actually use the desktop product? What do you mean? And I have to pay for that? <laughs> and that was my first demand gen job is to figure out how to sell more of those support plans. And uh, it was really funny because um, the channels that we sold this product through were through retail channels, brick and mortar. It was through telesales where people called a toll-free number and, and bought it. And it was through the website. We also had to think about in-product placements and advertising. So it was my first foray into demand generation. And I'll tell you this, I started my career at Bain & Company in strategy consulting. And strategy gives you this incredible ability to go into unknown situations and think about problems in a very logical way, break them down, and be able to approach answers in a very linear, logical way. And so I took this first demand gen job and I thought, this is going to be a cakewalk because, you know, I already have my whole plan laid out. My great training at Bain & Company is going to tell me how I can sell more support plans. And the reality is you go out there and you try to actually do the selling. You try to put that strategy to work in the market. And you realize that every little bullet, sub bullet, tiny little font 10 word in your plan can take months to execute. And, 
and actually even longer to execute successfully and do well. And it brought a very newfound sense of humility for me because I realized there's a very large crevice between thinking about the answer and actually, you know, operationalizing the answer and making it successful. And I think I learned more in that job than I had in all my years before. <laughs> and uh, it was very humbling. I, you learn very quickly about A-B testing. You learn about pricing strategy. You learn about CTAs. You learn about advertising and where to position your product. You, you know, even learn about packaging and you learn about how to train telesales reps on what messaging to lead with first and which one has a higher propensity to convert. And so it was just uh, the best training I could have had into the whole demand gen space. And so now you are CMO Marketa, and you know this is a company that is a super hot company, a top, you know, award-winning fintech company. You've recently been, uh, you know, given a top twenty-five women leader in financial technology in twenty twenty. The company's winning awards. You're you're uh, you're winning awards. You know, Marketa was the twenty nineteen best fintech startup award winner. So it, it seems like. Clearly, this was a logical fit for you to be the first CMO. Tell me a little bit about the company and why you're so excited uh, to be there. What attracted me to Marketa is it's solving an age-old problem in a whole new way. When you think about paying with cards, right, the cards, Ian, you and I have in our wallets, they are pretty simplistic in what they do. They check your balance and they check the location and make sure that you're within or near the zip code of, of your billing address, and, and then they authorize the transaction. And what we find is, what if you had a, a card that was so sophisticated that it could track down not only what SKU you're purchasing, but you know what time you're authorizing it and which retail store you're authorizing it and gave you that level of control? I think the possibilities become endless. And so if you think of some of the most disruptive companies in the last decade, uh, whether that's Uber, Cash App, Square, um, Instacart, DoorDash, what they're essentially driving at the heart of their business model is the exchange of money and the transfer of money and how money moves. And Marketa is powering that money movement. And that's what fascinated me is, wow, I never thought that a startup could come along and disrupt the way cards are being issued, something that has been taking place since the 40s and the 50s by large financial institutions. And it's great to see that with a few hundred people based in Oakland, you can upend how that problem is solved in a whole new way. And, and it's actually birthed so many innovative business models uh, because of this technology. And so that was really fun to be a part of and, and to help get the message out for yeah. And so what does marketing look like at Marketa? So I've had a lot of fun. I've, I've been at the company um, since early fall last year, and I've had a lot of fun building out the marketing organization, putting in some fundamental pillars all the way starting from product marketing and corporate marketing and rethinking our demand generation and go to market, uh, putting in pieces for creative design and web development, and, and very soon starting to build out a developer community. So what I've loved the most of, about this job is the building and growing part. And there are three principles that have been at the heart of our marketing. One is build the best technology stack. 
because we are a modern card issuing platform and the way we go to market should be as modern as our platform is. And the breadth of technologies, Ian, you are aware of this, is unparalleled today. So if you look at the number of technologies in the marketing space, you have something innovative for almost every microcosm of the marketing life cycle. And so it was such a luxury to be able to start with a blank slate and to be able to pull those innovative technologies together from the start and a lot of fun. Second, I wanted us to be a category creator because when you think of modern card issuers, we are the original pioneer in the space. There are so many features and functions that and products that we brought to market that have trailblazed what modern card issuing go, looks like. And so what that means is I wanted us to be the go-to destination. When anyone thinks about card issuing and they want a developer-first modern platform, they should immediately default to think of Marketa. And so that involves building out original thought leadership and content that's in service uh, to our customers and being helpful and useful to them as they are learning about this product and how it can solve their, their, product, their customer challenges. And third, I want it to be where the conversation is. And so if you think about our customers, um, payments may not be top of mind. They may be looking to launch a new digital banking product. They may be looking to launch a new pay now, you know, buy now after pay solution. They may be looking to figure out how on-demand delivery should launch in their market. And so our job is to be where those conversations are happening and to be of service in how a modern payment solution can help bring those ideas to life. And so everything is in the marketing organization is focused less on boiling the ocean, sort of fishing out there, putting our message and hoping it'll stick, but to really be relevant to our target customers and those that we can be the most helpful to. Yeah, let's get into our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with in the nest, are we not? This is where we can go and feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. Who are your customers? Who are you marketing to? What does the persona look like? So we market to commerce disruptors. Uh, that's one segment, which is if you think about anyone that is disrupting a large existing space with a new innovative business model, they would have the need for a modern card issuing platform. So think about uh, Instacart, a Grubhub, uh, a Klarna uh, would very much fall in that space. Second, uh, we serve digital banks. So anyone who's coming to market with a digitally native solution to serve customers those would be a target customer for us. We also serve tech giants. Uh, anyone, uh, you may be hearing of several tech giants in the news lately that are coming out with their own payments products. And they're talking about uh, large technology companies uh, like Google and Facebook uh, launching their own wallet solutions, payment solutions. Um, they are a target customer for us. And last but not least, we also are looking to serve large financial institutions. So just a few months ago, we announced that JPMorgan Chase has chosen us and they are the largest card issuer in the United States. And they're going to use us to launch an innovative new card product that they're coming out with. And so it's really fun for us to be able to power customers across a variety of verticals and sizes and growth stages. And, and that's been really exciting to see is that this is just an enormous opportunity. It's expected to grow to 80 trillion over the next five years. 
And so we are drinking water out of the fire hose in terms of the demand for a potential modern partition platform. Yeah. So, and I want to talk about that. So what does demand look like? If everybody kind of knows that this is the future and this is something that everybody wants to get their hands on a solution like this and, and Marketa obviously being a, like I said, in the news all the time as, as an award-winning product, like so what does that funnel, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, I don't know if you still believe in funnels, everybody has a different belief at this point, but um, what does that look like in terms of demand and your demand gen strategy? Uh, it first starts with setting the strategy for the year uh, in partnership with our sales team. So we love to sit down with them and say, okay, we have a limited set of resources. We can't, we're not going to go boil the ocean, but who are the customers that are must wins for this year? And let's go define that list. What are the use cases? What industries are are in? Um, let's name those companies. Let's talk about the personas that who you think would be the most engaged in looking at a modern card issuing platform. And so that is the most important part is setting the right go-to-market strategy with sales. I think sometimes we make this huge mistake of saying, all right, great, I'm going to go you know, bid on Google AdWords and, and put up a ton of money and then I'll feed those leads to, to the BD organization, to the sales organization. And then what you often hear back is, oh, these leads are low quality. These are not really helping us. And so what's important is to start with the strategy first and then know that all the channels and all the technologies that you have in your arsenal are in service to that strategy. And so, for example, if you have, say, 100 target accounts or whatever that number is, to then figure out what is the right way to reach those accounts. Is it by joining them where they are, where those conversations are happening? So, for example, in fintech, is it the Money 2020 conference? Is it the Lendit conference? Are those accounts better reached through digital channels? Is it, for example, using Terminus and Engageo as a combination to go do very targeted demand gen to target those personas. Maybe it's LinkedIn profiles because that's how you want to reach the specific buyer persona through digital campaigns. What we also love to do is look at intent data. For example, a tool like Bombora tells us who is on our site. That's actually looking at Marketa, searching for Marketa, but also looking at keywords. And maybe they don't even know of Marketa, but they're searching for card issuing platforms. And we watch that data very carefully. And it's incredible the quality of conversations we can find because Bombora will tell you when the intent is surging consistently over a few weeks. And then we'll say, hey, did you know company X seems to be shopping around for the solution? And they're exactly the kind of customer we should be talking to. Let's reach out to them. And there have been several productive conversations that have come out with that type of targeted approach. And last but not least, we also want to ensure that we are the absolute number one domain authority for the keywords that we care most about, for the topics that we own and that we drive, that we want to be the category leader for. And that means building a best-in-class content strategy. So you're drawing in the most relevant traffic to your site and then A-B testing the heck out of your conversion forms and your content tracks to ensure they're coming, they're consuming content, finding it helpful, and find it useful to share their information with you so you earn the right to have that conversation with them. So our goal here is to have the closest partnership with sales on the strategy upfront, determine the right channels to reach those accounts, whether that's um, through targeted events, through digital channels, or a uh, content strategy, and third, being the domain leader for the keywords and the topics that we care the most about. It's a perfect segue to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. 
You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you can open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? You kind of mentioned those three there, but maybe maybe we can get a little bit more tactical on uh, some of the things that you're doing that's working really well. When I think about tactics that are most uncuttable in my budget, I have to start with the technology first because they are at the foundation of my marketing house. When I think about the role that Marketo, Salesforce, Terminus, and Engageo play, they are critical to our marketing operations, uh, Salesforce and Marketo are, but Terminus and Engageo ensure the quality of our marketing and ensuring that we're taking as targeted uh, of an approach to ensure the highest quality leads and engagement uh, with our prospects as possible. So that would be one, would be key elements of my technology that I couldn't live with that. Second would be the content because I'm a big proponent on really leading with content and thought leadership to earn the right to be able to have a conversation with your prospects. So it's less about pushy messages and ads, but more about answering customer questions and being helpful to them and earning the right to speak to them. So the second would be the content strategy that we've invested in. That's an area that would be an uncuttable budget item for me. And third, and this is shoring up the moat, is you still have to put money in Google AdWords and you still have to own and absolutely dominate the keywords in your category and your space and your brand words, of course. And so if someone were to cut my Google AdWords, I would say we just lost our competitive mode and, and it can take a long time to earn that back. So with regards to content, what are the types of things that you're creating for that buying committee? Are you trying to get people, you know, on the same page in a way? Are you trying to get them to learn different things on their own timeline? What types of things are you trying to get them to figure out and to learn more information about? And what are like, what are the types of content? The content varies significantly by the stage of the buyer journey and where they are. So at the highest level, if they're just in their very early stage, asking the question about, hey, I'm looking for a card issuing platform, we actually start with very educational content, which is, do you know what card issuing is? Can we walk you through the difference between the various types of cards? What are the capabilities that you should be aware of? What are some of the regulations in the space? What are some of the watchouts to look for? What does it look like to be launching a card program? So that's at the very highest level. It's got nothing to do with Marketa. It's purely about navigating this rather new space uh, for this buyer and helping them understand the lay of the land a little bit more. And then you get into, okay, here's what you should think about when choosing a provider. Here's a checklist of questions you should ask. Um, here's you know, what are some of the different investments you should be making? Here's how you make the business case internally when you're talking about making this investment to your manager or to the department or to your CEO. Third stage, then we talk about our own platform, which is what are the capabilities? What are not the features and benefits, but what's the value that you can get from, from using a platform like Marketa's? How does it work? Here's a webinar. Here are some demos. Uh, here's what distinguishes it from some of the legacy solutions, from the competing solutions that you may see in the market. 
And then last but not least, here's some case studies. Here's how other companies in your industry have used card issuing. Here are the experiences they've created. Here's the impact that they've seen. And perhaps, you know, see some case studies from other industries to see if that could inspire new ideas for you. So I think content really varies by the stage of the buyer journey and addressing each stage with a very different kind of content is important. What we have seen, though, is that the video content is the format of content that is the most heavily engaged with in terms of pure volume. And it makes sense, right? People are short on time. You know, video content is visually appealing and engaging, especially if you can create in bite-sized chunks. So at the highest top of the funnel, we find that quick overviews are very helpful, whether that's 90 seconds or two minutes. Case studies, obviously, customer stories are super helpful in video format because you get a very visually digestible snippet of of the best practices that the buyer can benefit from. And so while the content varies and the formats vary, there are some formats and topics that are better suited to top of the funnel. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and it's especially because you have such different types of, of customers, you know, you all announced a partnership with Uber, you've announced a partnership with Coinbase, like there's different types of customers. And I imagine that that industry specific stuff is so different depending on who the who the vertical is or, or, or what they're doing. That's correct. And it's so important to have that vertical specific content. And it's not because the platform varies, right? The platform itself is super horizontal, but it's the use cases that the buyer can resonate with. Because when you talk about digital banking in Coinbase, as you mentioned, it's very different from Uber issuing cards for its new transit product or uh, to pay its drivers. And so we want to make sure that we're always, where possible, particularly more advanced in the buyer funnel, that we have more vertical specific content for them to engage with. And you obviously spent a, a bunch of time, you know, at uh, at MuleSoft, and you were CMO there, and you know, Salesforce pioneered the you know customer success stories and these sort of things, like that approach to this like modern kind of evolution of like marketing through post sale and and telling those stories and evangelizing those stories. And I'm curious, like, how do you think about doing that at Marketa? Because it seems like you have some really rich stories and such a massive market opportunity. I love Salesforce's customer stories. No one does customer stories like them. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, They don't even call them customer stories. They call them films. And I think it's for a reason. They're that engaging. Uh, I've always been very inspired by their own library of of customer stories. And so that was one of the areas that we doubled down on when I I joined. And uh, we have a a really running, a strong running start on customer stories. You may have seen Klarna and DoorDash and ConnectPay and and a slew of others now coming down the pipe. It's been um, super engaging to get the customer stories out there. I think customers are eager to, to share their stories out. I think the pandemic though poses its own challenges. And you may have seen a lot of video production that's come to a halt, but now I see that picking back up again. People are getting creative. And, you know, we have video kits that we can send to customers and have them shoot themselves and submit the footage for us and for the safety of their homes. We can also do um, shoots outdoors where we're following very strict protocols on on wearing masks and, and keeping social distance. And so we're starting to creatively bring that up, bring that back up in a safe way, knowing that the shelter in place is here to stay for the foreseeable future. So I think um, it's it's a very interesting interesting time for marketing because you have to be much more nimble 
in, in how you are solving uh, some of these problems. How do you view your website? So we just undertook a major redesign of our website and we launched it uh, just uh, earlier this summer in July. And uh, the goal was uh, our earlier website, while it was sufficient, it was not nearly as modern as you know our platform stood for. And so we wanted our website to be absolutely responsive, mobile-friendly, knowing half our traffic is on mobile. We wanted it to be really living and breathing our modern brand and have our best-in-class messaging. And uh, we recently won an award for the design and web development for it. So we're incredibly proud of it. And we also have a UK site that follows a similar uh, design and approach. And uh, we look forward to scaling our site to more markets as, as we enter new markets next year. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna compliment you on the website. I didn't know that you went through a redesign. That's cool. It's really slick. <laughs> so congrats to the team. It's really cool. Do you think that kind of in a company that is that is B2B that that has these um, you know, type of journeys, do you think that personalization, you know, obviously it's a buzzword and everything right now, but do you think it's something that is critical for marketers to look at in the in the near future? You know, personalization has been a buzzword uh, around for the last six years. I've never seen anyone do personalization well. I'm yet to see it. Totally. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm really yet to see the dream and the promise play out. And I've been watching this technology. I really want it to succeed. I really want it to see come to life because I do believe if we can offer a personalized experience, it could be a game changer. But there is such a huge gap between the promise and reality. Most solutions are not able to map IP traffic accurately. It, it ends up being very small single digits that they're able to accurately identify. And the level of lift that you have to go through to personalize your web experience based on that limited traffic, I just haven't seen that ROI payoff. So hats off to anyone who's figured it out, but um, I think the jury's still out on it. Which gets me to your most cuttable budget item. Is there something that you've tried and experimented either here or in previous stints as a marketing leader that you just you know haven't really seen the ROI? Yes. And for me, that's paid content placement. So, you know, as digital marketers, as demand gen leaders, as CMOs, you often see these opportunities. Oh, you get this great paid placement in The Economist and The Wall Street Journal and these amazing outlets and these industry trade publications on that amazing website. And you go, gosh, I would love to have an entire page in these spaces. Um, and what I've found is that paid content placements, for me, I just think they're so disingenuous. As a reader, you discount them immediately when they say the placement section. And so my question is, is why not create such great content that you earn the right to be in those spaces um, rather than buying your way into them? Because frankly, I've never found them to pay off. So whenever I see those opportunities, I always pass. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I always feel the same way about that as a user. When I'm, when I'm reading it, I'm like, you know, if I wanted to see home cooking, I'd just go to your website, right? Like I can figure that stuff out pretty easily. And it never feels like it's part of a thread. It almost seems slapped together, you know, at times. So uh, I, I think it's just a little clunky and I think it's just a little old school, right? It's like, to me, as someone who used to sell magazine ads back in the day, it feels like it's an advertorial, right? Like that's just kind of how you used to do things when you had newspapers and magazines, but we just don't need that anymore. And I don't even mind an advertisement, right? Especially for a consumer product. It's actually great to be able to visually see a product and maybe you're raising awareness. 
the paid content, particularly in enterprise marketing, enterprise B2B marketing, when you see paid advertorial content and you see someone wrote an entire page, I really doubt people are engaging with that content and respecting it and giving it the same credibility as the rest of the space. And so I, I just think it's a disservice to the company to, to go the paid content right away. I, I frankly don't think it pays off. Any other trends or things that you are excited about for 2021? I think that technology is changing so fast in software. And if I, if I just look at the payment space itself, um, there, the whole fintech landscape has has come out of nowhere, it feels like, over the last decade. And, and the pace of change, even in the fintech industry, seems to be only accelerating. That marketing, I think, is going to play an even bigger role as an educator, which is there are companies that are potential customers that frankly don't live and breathe payments, but also don't want to live and breathe payments. Totally. Financial technology day in and day out. What they want is someone to be a trusted advisor and say, okay, how do I make sense of this? What's going on with real-time payments? And should I care about this issuing product or should, should I look at acquiring this way? And what does it mean to aggregate the bank data? And how do I look at my user data? And you know, what can you do? tell me about fraud? And how do I control fraud in my payments transactions? Look, I'm in just XYZ business, but I wanna ensure that we're offering as safe of an experience as possible. So much is changing so quickly that marketing has a responsibility to not only keep up with those changes, but be a an educator, a, a trusted informer to the market. Because unless your buyers understand this quickly changing space, they're not going to be equipped to make purchase decisions uh, with the right information. Do you have a favorite campaign that you've done uh, over the past year? I have a favorite campaign that I've seen this past year, and you may have seen it, Ian. It's the Uber Stay Home campaign. Yeah, totally. It is amazing. That is an example of a campaign that is not about their product. It's about being not only helpful to the public, but being able to resonate with them on an emotional level on something that happened very suddenly, very dramatically, and very quickly. And what I was most impressed about the campaign was the timeliness of it. It happened so quickly after shelter in place happened. And the message was so clear. Stay home. Don't ride Uber. How powerful is that? And I thought that was just a home run campaign. It's so inspiring to see companies uh, do things like that. That was definitely a favorite. Um, some of the worst campaigns, to, to share a little bit on the other side of the coin. Yeah, for sure. Companies that take advantage of another company's downfall. It's been also sad to see since the pandemic hit. We've also seen companies struggle. And, and there have been companies that have not waited even a moment before going after their customers, uh, you know, for putting disparaging messages about them. Or you also see this when a, co a company has an outage, for example, that the competitors may come right out with a public message dinging them. And, and that always surprises me. And the reason is, is nobody's immune from, you know, having a false or certain momentary lapses in, in technology or having being impacted by the economy or the pandemic. And I'm always surprised at, at companies that take advantage of those vulnerable moments to to disparage uh, another company in the space. 
Yeah, you see that with like people getting hacked and stuff like that too, that people love throwing dirt on on the grave yeah. uh, when somebody gets hacked. And it's like, if you want to spend the rest of your life and pretend like you're never going to get hacked forever, like that's, it's, it's not a great, uh, not, not a great hill to, uh, to sit on. That's exactly right. That's a great example too. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about healthy tension, whether that is with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or just anyone else. Have you had a memorable dust-up in your career? Yes. So a few years ago, we were coming off the back of our user conference, which was, as you can imagine, Ian, a tremendous lift to pull off. Uh, You have almost everybody on the marketing team, all hands on deck, creating content, ensuring prospects and customers are coming to the event or having a great experience, that every aspect from the branding to the content to the visuals to the brand, (laughs) like the end-to-end experience is amazing. And coming out of that event, we came to the sales organization, uh, to the sales leadership team, and we provided a readout on the metrics of the event. And very quickly into the conversation, the head of sales stopped me and he said, yeah, but you know, I feel like it was okay. I feel like the event wasn't all there. And you know, this is sometimes a comment you will, you know, sometimes hear from sales organizations, particularly in enterprise software, because of the long sales cycles and the whole discussion around leads and where they are on the pipeline and what is impact. Totally. And I remember that I immediately stopped him in his tracks and I said, okay, uh, let's actually go back here. I'm going to move a couple of slides and let's actually look at these metrics. The visitors to the event site were up by X percent. The registrations are up, the attendees are up. The employee and the attendee experience scores from the event are up. The number of dollars generated from the event in terms of pipeline are up by this percentage. And the percentage uh, of growth in influence pipeline is up by this level. So tell me exactly what you mean by not there. And I distinctly remember him. He, he took a few steps back, actually, in the room. And he said, all right, all right, fine. That's so great. Remind me to never get on, on the other side of the table from you, Vidya. That's... <laughs> well, what I realize is, I think as a marketer, you have to be extra diligent to bring the numbers to the discussion. It's too easy to rely, particularly in enterprise marketing, to say, and this was good, and that was great, and we did this, and we did that. Activity field and adjectives do not a high-performing high performing team make. Yeah, totally. So the burden is on you as a marketer to arm yourself with the data, with the information, so you can have the right conversations with your partners. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the same thing when when sales says, I don't like this ad or I don't like this asset or, you know, I don't like this podcast episode or whatever it is. And, and you go and you're like, yeah, you don't buy our product either, right? So it's like, of course you don't like the 45-minute developer webinar. Like, you're not a developer. You don't speak this language. So it's just funny that there's some things like that where you get kind of like, they're the feel based off of, you know, position or age or this or that, or just like a general feel for an event where you're like, we weren't targeting you, buddy, or 
you know, whoever it is, right? Like, yeah, I, I hope you don't love it because that would be weird. So you know exactly what I'm talking about, having these conversations yourself. Oh, yeah. We've been there. We've been there. Uh, you know, a quick side note of that, of, you know, you have something like certain giveaways or certain things or things that you do. And it's like, well, like you drive a McLaren. So I don't think anything that you do is going to relate to the people that are, you know, that are doing X, Y, and Z, uh, because you're right. The $25 Starbucks gift card is not very exciting for you, <laughs> but, uh, anywho, I digress. Yeah. Let's get to our quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like how quickly you can talk to somebody on your website with qualified.com conversational marketing is here. You can go to qualified.com to learn more. Qualified prospects are on your website right now. Talk to them quickly with qualified.com. Quick and easy, just like these questions. Vidya, are you ready? Yes. First question. You moved. Yes, I did. Is there, is there something when you move? And obviously, Marquetta being, I can quite literally see the Marquetta logo from where I live. If I, if I turn my computer screen around uh, in beautiful, sunny Oakland, California, but you moved somewhere completely different. What is your best piece of advice for moving across the world? This is a great question because it's very fresh and top of mind for me. So uh, my family and I, we made the move to Amsterdam in May. My husband is from here. And so we always talk about raising our children here. And, uh, and so we made the move as planned, uh, pandemic or not. And my biggest suggestions uh, for the move are move less than you can possibly imagine. So whatever you think you want to move, cut it in half because you really don't need all that stuff. <laughs> That's one. The second is ensure on the other side that you immerse yourself as much as possible in order to transition into that new country, that new city, the new place as much as possible. So for me, it meant I first signed up for a language class, which was great. And then the second was I volunteered at, at my children's school so I could meet other parents and make connections. And um, third was I leaned into my network to see if there were friends that they could introduce me to in, in the new country. And I think those are really important to put your roots down somewhere. So bring less stuff and invest more in people and connecting and making new um, connections in, in the new place. Oh, and by the way, I ordered about six books about living, talking, and working with the Dutch, even though I've been married to a Dutchman for 12 years. <laughs> he does not represent the whole country and the whole culture. That's a, that's a great point. You got to invest in... Uh in uh, learning about the market, <laughs> marketing 101. Um, is there anything that you've uh, picked up during shelter in place, like a hobby or habit or something? I've picked up a couple of things. I find that um, there's more time because uh, of the shelter in place. I've been reading a lot and um, I've, I've enjoyed reading a couple of books. Right now I'm reading uh, Yuval Harari's book on the 21 truths for the 21st century, which has been a lot of fun. Each chapter is, is bite-sized and it feels like the perfect way to wind down from the day. And um, on, the, on the fiction side, I read Little Fires Everywhere, uh, which was a, a wonderful book. I think it was a bestseller this year. And my favorite series, though, that I read were written by this Danish author. Uh, he's actually, he calls himself a CEO of the World's Institute of Happiness. And he does these three books on uh you know, happiness and, and how you create happy memories and how you bring happiness into your life. And it's 
they're super beautiful books and um, I highly recommend them. So really fun reads, even provides you recipes on what are great foods to have, uh, all based on his research uh, at the Danish Institute of Happiness. What advice would you give to a fellow CMO who's trying to figure out demand gen strategy for the first time? I would say forget everything that you learned in school or business school about demand generation. This space is quickly evolving. So the best way to learn is to reach out to demand gen leaders that are on the front lines today at some of the companies that you admire the most and learn from your peers. Because even something that you may have learned a year or two ago is probably out of date now. And so the the space is quickly changing and your CMO peers who are doing it uh, can share a lot more with you. Gosh, I mean, that's, we should take that and use that for the uh, copy for this podcast. That's exactly why we, uh, why we made this show is you want to learn from your peers and the best people that are, that are out there doing it because you're not going to read it in a book by the time it's printed, it's too late. There you go. There's the plug for the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. What's next? What's next for uh, Marketo? What's next for you, Vidya? I'm super excited uh, about a book that we're coming out with shortly here uh, before the end of the year. The book is titled Paid Forward, and uh, it's written by our CEO, Jason Gardner, and it's about why he started the company and what are some of the problems he sees in the payment space, what are some of the solutions and the answers he sees, and what he finds ahead, what's his vision for where the changes are in the financial technology, but particularly payments and card issuing. So super excited about this book coming out. I think anyone who's new to the payments and fintech space would love reading this. There are a ton of his own personal anecdotes and experiences and how he built this business from the ground up. So very excited about this book coming out. Um, You should be able to see it by the end of this year. I'm sure there'll be a free downloadable copy on our website. So definitely check it out. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll link it up in the show notes and, uh, and promote it as well. That's awesome. Always, uh, always cool to see everything going on at Marquette. I'm super, super glad we got to do this and, and catch up. Any, uh, any final thoughts, anything to, uh, anything else to, uh, to plug here? Nope. I think we covered it all, Ian. Awesome. You're the best. Thank you so much again. And, uh, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Ian. Appreciate it. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at qualified.com conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.